with me to Galatians chapter 1 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10 this morning of Galatians chapter 1. Before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would help us with it. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us because as we read here, your word, the only rule for our faith and practice, we come to it with many of our own tendencies. And one of those tendencies is to create a false gospel, to worship false gods. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would use it to shine a light into our souls, to convict us of our sin, to lead us to the truth that we might no longer sin against you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As a young pastor, I, every time I got into the pulpit or got behind a lectern, like a teaching situation, I was paralyzed uh, by what others were thinking about me, how I, how others, I, how I thought others perceived me. Every comment after church, you know, the people would come up and they would make comments about the sermon or about whatever I was teaching, whether it was a praise or a criticism, I would dissect it, think over it over and over again. What do they mean when they said that? You know, all that kind of stuff. Sure, I drove my wife crazy in those early years because the way I felt after a sermon was directly proportional to the way that I thought others felt about me, which is really strange. I preached the true gospel. I preached the gospel every week. I wouldn't have been allowed to be in the pulpit. But I had trouble believing it myself. Instead, I believed that only the best preachers were loved by God, and the rest of us obviously need to get in line. I listened to guys like Sproul and MacArthur and Ferguson, you know, some of the best preachers of the 20th century, and hoping that I could just somehow be like those guys, since they obviously had the best version of Jesus and I wanted a little bit of that myself. And one time, a wise elder in the church saw this one Sunday. He noticed this about me, because he was a wise old elder, and he notices those kinds of things. He came up to me and he said, he asked me right after my sermon, he said, did you preach the gospel this morning? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, then it doesn't matter what I or anyone else thinks. And I wouldn't say that I was cured right then, but it definitely helped me to understand the work that I had and what I was called to do. Paul had a very similar work in his own life. He was called to preach the gospel, even if folks didn't approve of his message, and they oftentimes did not read the book of Acts. It's because of this concept of a different gospel that we're going to see in front of us in Galatians today. This, this concept loomed heavily on the churches in Galatia. And he needed to make sure that the people understand, again, there's only one true gospel. And for many, this other gospel, this different gospel, can simply be like the one I had grabbed a hold of as a young pastor, and this was just the approval of man. So we seek to preach the true gospel. It's important for us to understand this tendency for us to go astray. And it's a theme that we're going to be dealing with throughout this entire book. So as we consider those two sides today in two points, a different gospel and then the one true gospel. So with that, let's look together at the text 
Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Please stand with me in the honoring of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 1, starting at verse 6 and reading through verse 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for a little bit of context, remember last week when we introduced this book, the Galatian churches were churches that Paul planted during his first missionary journey. He wasn't in these churches for very long. In fact, his whole missionary journey probably took him about a couple years, give or take a little bit. And so he wasn't in these churches very long, basically long enough to establish that there was a group of converts, to establish some leadership and order, and then just to kind of send them on their way, knowing that he would probably be checking up on them in the upcoming years. Sometime later, the Jerusalem Council, which we talked about, and we saw what we see in Acts 15, was called to deal with the false gospel of requiring circumcision in order to be a Christian. The council's directives were sent to the churches, those churches in Galatia being included among those, and so sometime later then Paul hears that the Galatian churches are struggling with this. So he writes this letter, and this letter is probably the first one that he wrote among all of his letters. And in many of Paul's letters, if you read through the first parts of the letter, you see this greeting, and then you see a portion of the letter that's kind of a thanksgiving, where he's like, I'm so thankful for you, whoever he's talking to, and he gives them a list of the reasons why he's thankful for them. He tells them why he's thankful. He even offers a kind of prayer of thanksgiving for the church that he's talking to. However, in this book, in Galatians, we don't get that kind of thanksgiving business. He gets straight to the business at hand, and we see that in verse 6. It's not that he's, it wasn't that he's not thankful for the Galatians, he was, but this business was so important that he went straight to it. And it's helpful for us because it helps us to get straight to that as well. Because the issues that Paul deals with are the same ones that the church is still dealing with today, very prevalent in the church today. It's been around, in fact, since the beginning of the church. It's been around since the beginning of people. Even it's the cause of the Reformation. It's been a cause of every awakening since then. We don't need a different gospel ever. We only need the one true gospel. And Paul reminds us of that here. And that brings me to the first point, a different gospel. Look with me again at verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's language here is interesting because it conveys 
a strong emotion without coming across as necessarily being very forceful. You get the idea that he's kind of being calm, yet in a very authoritative way, which we would do well, of course, to emulate this. In fact, later in the book, Paul tells us to restore one another in what he says in a spirit of gentleness. See this in Galatians 6. To restore one another in a spirit of gentleness when there's sin in the group. So it's an important lesson, I think, for us today. Married couples, parents and children, really any kind of relationship. Knowing as we seek to be like Christ, we should do this as well. And so I'm, I love the way he treats the Galatians here, even though he could have been, because of his authority as an apostle, could have been much more harsh with him, with them. And he says he's astonished, which is the same word that is used oftentimes in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, when, when Jesus would do something that was astonishing, right? When he would do some sort of miracle and the people would just be completely awestruck by it. It's the same word here. That is to say that when Paul heard about the Galatian churches struggling, he couldn't believe it. He could not believe what he heard. It was more than he could deal with. It was the kind of thing that when you hear it, you kind of have to sit down and process it for a little bit. And it's not just because they had taken a different gospel, but because they had done so so quickly. And notice what Paul does here. He equates it to turning or to deserting Christ himself. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Why would he do that? Well, because we cannot separate the Jesus of Scripture from the gospel of Scripture. They're the same thing. They are the same word of God. The world wants us to do this, in fact, because they like certain parts about Jesus. They like that Jesus was, quote unquote, a good teacher. Things like the golden rule, you know, and how Jesus helped people do things and looked kind of like a meek and mild Kenny Loggins and was everyone's friend, right? They like that version of Jesus that's been painted on the pictures in those old churches. You know what I'm talking about. They don't want a Jesus who says, whoever does not believe in me, the wrath of God remains on him. They want to pick the Jesus that they have. They don't want the Jesus of Scripture. That's why we have verse 7. Not that there is another one. It's talking about this different gospel that they've chosen. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's not another gospel. Remember also what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusionary type of statement. Jesus is saying there's one way to the Father. It's through me. That's it. There's no other way. It doesn't matter who tells us about a different gospel. The gospel exists the same way for all eternity. It's as eternal as the other words of God. It's as eternal as God himself. It is unchanging. Nothing is being added to it. Nothing is being taken away from it. Paul lays that out as he continues on, verses 8 and 9. But even if we, speaking of himself, the other apostles, even if we, or an angel from heaven, a messenger directly from heaven, 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we say again, even or if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. If an angel comes to you and says, fear not, for I have a new gospel to give to you, that is not the real gospel. There is no such thing as a new gospel. If Paul himself were to show himself to be a non-believer and to begin preaching a false gospel, then they shouldn't listen to him either. The gospel exists even if a gospel-believing preacher does not. And anyone preaching a different gospel is cursed. The Greek word here is anathema. It may even be printed that way in your English translation. You've probably heard me use that word, anathema, probably too often. I probably shouldn't use that word as often as I do. This is the opposite of a benediction. You know, at the, at the end of this service, I will pronounce a benediction over the church. It is a blessing. This is the opposite of that. This is anathema. This is a curse. It's a curse pronounced on anyone preaching something other than the true gospel of Christ. And this theme will follow us through the whole book. So I want to bring out a particular quality of the false gospel here, and I think we see that in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. One surefire characteristic of a false gospel is one that is trying to please man. And this has taken many forms over the years. For the Galatians and Christians in that time, it actually may have meant life or death for them to believe in the one true gospel. For Paul, he was speaking here not only of preaching against the Judaizers, but also also the prevailing paganism of the time. In all the Roman places, there was just rank paganism. and He was preaching against those things. Paul and others like him would eventually be preaching against the government of Rome. And Rome didn't really take kindly to that many times throughout history, and it cost many of them their lives. For Martin Luther, father of the Reformation, pleasing man meant satisfying the Roman Catholic Church and not preaching against them. But he said he couldn't do that. He stayed the course. He preached the true gospel, and from that time the Reformation was spawned. In our day, it hasn't been as dire but it doesn't make it any less significant. 20 years ago, when I was first coming around to these sorts of things and understanding church culture, it was all about, the churches were all about being relevant to the culture, taking Jesus out of the gospel to make it much more palatable, right? Today, there's a much different cultural spin. If you've paid attention to what churches are dealing with today and the language that's being passed around in churches, Adding things like social justice, critical race theory, adding these things to the gospel, saying that without these things, there is no true gospel in order to please a world that will never be pleased with us and they'll never be pleased with our Savior Jesus because they are at odds with him by definition. And we have to understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, the reason that this happens on a systemic level 
is because it happens on a personal level. This happens on a personal level. And it's not just when a pastor is up on the pulpit wondering if people like him. And it's not just what the pastor is saying from the pulpit either. But it can be the things that we require of other people. The things that we believe people require of us as well. Oftentimes we create things that others should be doing in order to be the kind of Christian that we think they should be. We do this all the time. The the main reason we do this is to make ourselves look better, of course. The Internet is full of people who make pithy statements about what's wrong with the church and wrong with Christians. And there are always, without fail, comments underneath to the effect of, Amen, brother, you should come and say this to some of the people that I know. Because it's always about someone else and what they should be doing. It's never about our own version of a different gospel in our own hearts. For many, this idea of what other people think and pleasing men is the most crippling form of a different gospel, worrying what others require of you, whether it's real expectations or just made-up expectations that look nothing like the one true gospel but still feel very much like it in that we think that we're going to be sent to some kind of hell if we don't meet up those expectations. We do this to others. We allow others to do it to us. And both represent a different gospel because the true, the true gospel has no requirements other than belief in the one Savior, Jesus Christ. That doesn't take away from the type of life a Christian should be living. It's not what we're saying here. A person who believes the gospel will be living as they ought to live, will be growing in that daily. Yet it's not Christian living that saves a person. It's not adherence to the social gospel. It's not a made-up list of requirements. It's Jesus. And that brings me to the second point, the true gospel. Look with me again at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So understand the false gospels, whether in Paul's time or our own time, there is a common thread in all the false gospels that exist. They require something of us. Aside from Jesus, it's Jesus plus a thing, whatever that thing is. And when we aren't able to produce the thing that we've required or that we believe others require of us, the false God of that gospel will punish us every single time. In comparison, notice the difference with what the true God, Jesus Christ, does. Him who called you. In the grace of Christ. According to the true gospel, who is it that took initiative concerning our relationship with God? He did. God took initiative. In what did he call us? He called us in the grace of Christ. In the unmerited favor. And what that means is he called us not according to the things that I've done, but according to his own love for us. That is what he called us in. We aren't called according to our ability to keep a standard. 
we were called in spite of our ability to keep a standard. In fact, were it left up to us, we'd never measure up. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point of this. We were called according to the grace of Christ. It was God the Father who came to us, drawing us to himself, making us alive in Christ. So let's apply that idea to the false gospel of Paul's day, because in Paul's day, the Judaizers said one needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. So there's a kind of precondition then, right? The Galatians who heard the gospel, believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, were now being told, well, there's still this one thing. There's still this one thing. And if you do this one thing, then God will accept you. Then Paul's statement, if that's true, then Paul's statement is no longer true. We are not called according to the grace of Christ. We are called according to whether or not we've been circumcised. Which seems absurd, absurd, and at least, at least it should seem absurd to us. That's easy, right? Well, there are many who require baptism for salvation today. Which is just the new covenant sign that's analogous to circumcision. And they would say, well, Yes, one must believe in Jesus to be saved, but there's this one more thing. You have to be baptized. It may even make it sound spiritual. Because baptism is representing what the death, burial, and resurrection signified. Therefore, you must be baptized. Furthermore, this baptism must be a certain way. You must be dumped to really, really see that, that death, burial, and resurrection. So the Father called you according to your immersion baptism rather than the grace of Christ. Now, it's easy enough for me to stand here and kind of discount these more fringe beliefs in the church. Yet anytime, brothers and sisters, hear this, because we're not we're not free. Ooh, I don't believe that. I'm good. No, no, we're not free. Because anytime we create a standard for someone else or for ourselves, this is the same thing that we're doing. We say to the Father, I see, Father, that you have called me according to the grace of Christ, yet there is this one more thing that I want to add. I want to add this one more thing because it seems right and it seems good to me. There is a way that seems right unto man. But the end of it leads in death. Hopefully you're starting to see the gravity of the Galatians' sin and Paul's urgency in getting this letter to him or to them and to us today. That young pastor who was desperate for the approval of the congregation had created a standard that was impossible to meet, the unanimous approval of a large group of widely varied people who don't really get happy about anything. And when I felt like I hadn't met that, which was never, I never met it, I was punished by the false God that I created. But God didn't call me according to my ability to preach, thankfully. He called me according to the grace of Christ. His unmerited favor that looked past my sin. And you can fill in the blank for yourself, I'm sure. We all could. It could be some far off idea. It could be this person that you think you ought to be. And that's what you're judging yourself against. Well, I ought to be doing these things at this point in my life, and I'm not doing those things, and so I'm a bad person. It could be finding the approval of a parent. 
that's just as messed up as you are, just like you, never completely approving of anyone, but yet we feel like we have to have their approval. It could be finding approval and affirmation from your children, especially as we in this congregation are watching our children grow older. We want them to think highly of us, even though we've not always made the best decisions. We want their affirmation. We want them to think that we were good parents because being a good parent is the true gospel. But the approval of our parents and our children, that is not the gospel because the God of the universe already approves of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he approved of us from the foundations of the earth way before we were born, way before we messed up the first time, way before we messed up this morning before we came to church. He approved of us before the foundations of the earth in spite of the person that we've grown up to be, in spite of the fact that we were once his enemies. And anytime you reach out to another gospel, we say to him, that's not enough. Christians is, is enough. That's the part, that part of us that is desperate for another gospel, some way to earn his love. Just like we try to earn the love of the people around us. We need to step away from that. We need to put that aside. Instead, go to Jesus. Find rest in him. One of the things that I think of when I think of heaven in this place where we're going to be where there's no sin is waking up in the morning and knowing that it doesn't matter at all if people approve of me or not. Because I'll be resting fully in Christ. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. Find rest for your souls. And if there's anyone here who's an unbeliever this morning, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The same gospel is for you. There is absolutely no hope in any false god of the world or any of the false gospels that they preach. There is but one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. Call upon his name and be saved. In conclusion, let us be a people who no longer desire a different gospel, but instead desire Jesus, the one true gospel that he preaches the one hope that we have for our souls. And let us be ones who preach this true gospel to a lost world. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, like the Galatians, we wander off many times into a different gospel. We are thankful that you don't let us wander far. In fact, you never leave us. You bring us close. You call us back to yourself. You are patient and you are gentle. And you love us even when we don't always love you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to cast aside these false gods, the false gospels that they preach, and that we would cling to you and you alone and the one true gospel, the hope that we have in you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.